Hi, everybody. I'm Rogers Healy, and welcome back to Rogers That, a podcast still dedicated to selling without selling out. And today, we have somebody who epitomizes what it's like to take it to the next level and stay there all while being himself. Ladies and gentlemen, he's an SMU fan. He's a Texan, and he is what we like to call a cinema magician. Those are not our words. Those are his. Today, we have my dear friend, Mr. Thaddeus Thad Matula. Thad, thanks for being here. Uh, you're you're very welcome, and and you you really nailed that. Thank you. Do, do you have you decided to do podcasting for a living now? Well, that as soon as this thing takes off, ever since uh, after our interview airs, it's going to be where my main source of income comes from. So thank you. Of course, of course, uh, you're you're welcome, and and I'm glad to do it gratis and and give you a a, a career because you know clearly nobody knows you yet. Well, I'm getting there, you know, and I think that this this Rogers that thing is the first thing I'm going to go and use as a platform to self promote. And I've been hiding behind a computer for so many decades that it's time for me to actually go and leverage a very unique name. So yeah, yeah. I mean, see you soon, social media. You should so yeah, yeah. You should leverage that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I I I think if you put your face on billboards, I'm considering it. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I know my wife likes to live a very private life, and um, you know. I just really need to think through stuff before, you know, I go and start putting my name and face on certain objects. But enough of me. We're here for you. And uh, background on Thad, we, we met, I don't know when it was, probably 10 or, t- 10 or 12 years ago. And I always knew your name because of the SMU connection and the handful of us at SMU that are loyal and engaging uh, alumni. Uh, we stick together. And, um, you know, I was I was a fan from an early, early, early part in our, our friendship. But... You made a really big splash uh, with the world of sports, the world of uh, people that love documentaries, and with the world of SMU fans, uh, which was in – what year was that? I was. It came out in 2010. And what was it called? It was called Pony Excess. Pony Excess. And we're, we're going we're gonna to kind of get there. Before we go and get to the uh, fun part, why don't, why don't you give us a little bit of background? I know that you're a walking statistic in the fact that you made it in probably the hardest industry Real estate and film, I think, are the two hardest industries to make it because there's a lot of people that are talented, but a lot of people that are also lazy. But what got us where we're at today? Well, you got to be able to hear no a lot and keep keep going back. Um, and it's and you have to figure out like what your passion is, what you know, what really moves you. So um, the the great thing for for me is that. Um, uh, I knew from a young age that this is what I what I had to do, um, and what I what I wanted to do. Um, but something like like Pony Excess was what really helped me. Um, I, not really helped me. It's it's what it's what gave me a name in a larger uh, a larger uh, uh, audience. Uh, I had done in college some some films and uh, um, had some real success early, like a, a film I made my sophomore year in college, aired nationally on PBS and played all over, all over the world. What was it called? It was called The Dreamer. Wow. And, and, uh, and, uh, but I'm not the only one. Yeah. 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 They all sing it together. Yeah. <laughs> John Lennon came back to right, life. Of course. Of course. That's, that was the big coup. That's why they put it on PBS. Noted. So, yeah. Um, no, it's a, it's about a future where uh, there's only one lower class, and and uh, they're subjugated by the use of a computer chip in, implanted in the brain that prevents uh, dreaming or or proper dream state. Uh, and uh, um, this is it's an allegory to my myself and and anyone out there that that has a dream that's 
unconventional. Like you said, it's not easy to make it in this. And society is going to tell you you can't make it. Um, and you are going to tell yourself you can't make it. Uh, and if you decide to listen to that, then, you know, you won't. But, like, I wanted to create a society in this in this film where uh, you would literally get killed for following your dreams and have a character that followed them anyway. Um, I have... You know, I've done some growing since uh, since that uh, time, and and now I'm uh, I'm gonna make a feature film of it. Uh, I'm uh, I'm excited about getting to that chapter of my life, but I know now that it's it's much more, at least from my experience, it's not just following a dream; it's following what the universe is revealing to you, uh, because so often we think we, we have to, things have to happen in a certain way, and we become so focused on them happening, happening in a certain way that we miss what's right in front of us, the opportunities that are right there. And I've done a lot of work to, to be in the present, and in that time as I, you know, as I've done this, I have discovered that I, I, I feel like we all at times and uh, have that knowledge of the next thing to do. And we often won't do it because it's like, it's like a mountaintop, right? And you can see the mountaintop um, and you can see the first couple steps, but all the thousands in between you don't see. And so we never take that first step. We just stay in base camp and, and see if we have the right tools. And, and uh, we keep staying there because it's, it's comfortable. And, you know, I, I always say if, you, if you're looking at two different options of things to do, if you've narrowed it down to two or, you know, a low number, uh, it's really the one that looks like harder work and the one that you may not know what you're doing. And I would just, in, I would just encourage everybody to just take that step. If you know you need to take it, take it and uh, and have faith. Uh, uh, even if you're just pretending, have faith that your foot's going to land on solid ground. And I, I can tell you, from my experience, the more I just follow that, uh, the 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 more successful uh, uh, I am. But like the more I'm able to do this this work that I feel called to. Um, um, and you know, success is is to me much more about my personal well-being, but also, you know, I know I'm, I know I'm supposed to tell these stories. Tell you what, that's a director right there, because I don't even know if I asked you a question and you just went and brought it all into one beautiful answer. And that was uh, very poetic. So that's a hell of a way to start. But speaking of starting, let's, let's talk about the dream of being a filmmaker. Obviously you make a movie as a sophomore in college, but you had to have aspirations as a child. What inspired you? What like, was it ET? Was it you know, excuse me, was it PBS? What what got you to the point where you wanted to be probably, I mean, you consider yourself one of the foremost documentarians on planet Earth today, wouldn't you? I, I do. Um, so was it Ken Burns that got you there? Was no, it the Super Size Me guy? No, what? it was Star Wars. Star Wars. Um, so part of me... Uh, Not to freak you out, my birthday is on May 4th. Oh, may the 4th be with you. Also with you. Thank yes, you. thank you, thank you. Did you grow up Catholic? Because that, uh, that was a very... No, you know, an old, also with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, exactly. I'm Christian and just kind of whatever. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. I, I, but I like the response. So um, I am a, a much younger brother. I have a brother that's nine years older than, that, than I am and a sister that's 10 years older than I am. And um, me being... Uh, a, a guy, uh, as a little boy, I idolized my older brother. And so while 
Today, knowing what I know now, I feel what I have become and what I'm doing was inevitable uh, from the, the, the beginning. But when I look back, uh, I just remember um, I, I grew up with anxiety and depression, and that stayed with me uh, into adulthood. And obviously, it's still with me, but I, 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 I'm not... I'm not crippled by it. Uh, and in fact, it's not something that, that takes me over anymore because of all this work to be in the present. But, but the thing is, is that when I was a kid, I didn't have an outlet. I didn't have a way to sort of um, tell myself that everything was going to be okay. You know, I didn't, I didn't have many friends because I was very emotionally, um, uh, it was easy to, 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 you know, get me to, to get a rise out of me. Um, and so often I would wasn't actually sick, but just felt sick and would stay home from school and would turn on the, the Star Wars trilogy, the original trilogy. And uh, it, could, it could take me to a place where there was hope, where uh, people did things together, where friends came together to, to achieve the, the, the near impossible. And, and I knew that while, yes, it would be great to be a Jedi Knight or to be Han Solo. But what I really felt is I want to be the guy that takes you to these places. I want to be the guy that tells you it's going to be okay. I talk every time I walk onto a set, I say this in some very, you know, some various form. It's a variation. We are working on somebody's favorite movie of all time. Uh, sometimes I say favorite film, <laughs> but, uh, um, but, uh, but we owe it to that person uh, to, to, to do the best we can in every moment because this will be life-changing for someone. And, uh, and you know, I don't, I, don't tend to, um, I don't tend to shoot low when I'm making films. You know, I want to make the, the best film you've ever seen every single time out. Um, and, and whether or not I do, I just know that, like, they are inherently better because I have that 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 sort of like high bar, um, and I'm not saying like a high bar can be crippling. Um, it can it can force you to not start, but it's like just keep going for that for that excellence. And I think you were you were you were you had brought this up in like how did I know or what yeah. what this was? And so yeah, it really was Star Wars and, and that idea of, of 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 hope and belonging and achieving the near impossible with with your friends. Which is such a, yeah, I mean, and I think that most stories, the beautiful part is the story within the story. Right. Right? And I think that as we get older and you start to see things like, oh, okay, I get it. And even as a, you know, 40-year-old man over here, I was a Star Wars fan, still am, but as a kid, you know, it was just the action and the zoom, 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 the noises and the characters. But now, you know, when you look at it, it's, it's, it's an incredible story of hope and redemption and, you know, the good guys winning, even though Han Solo passed away because... Um, his son. R.I.P. Rest in peace. But we'll have a Star Wars conversation later. Uh, <laughs> so how, how did you pivot from the world of science fiction and, uh, you know, craziness to making documentaries about athletes that spend all their money? <laughs> so um, I had my or people that gave all their hard work, hard earned money to athletes. Who right. Right. That, that was a different filmmaker there for a second. No, 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 no. no but, I, but, I, I corrected myself. Yeah, but uh, um, so. Along with my brother loving Star Wars, and that's just how I sort of like 
started watching Star Wars, my, my brother also loved SMU football. And so I had to love it, too. Um, and my dad was a professor at SMU. I didn't know that. Yeah, he, was, he finally retired about um, four years ago. I didn't know that. After 44 years at SMU. What did he teach? Computer science. I was going to say, what did he profess? I was yeah, what did he, yes. Um, he, smart. He arrived at SMU as the original department chair of computer science. No way. Yeah, so he had been at WashU for uh, eight or so years before that um, mm. in St. Louis, and that's where he'd done his undergrad. WashU, people know that. Larry Hughes played college basketball there. I remember that's when the first time I heard about WashU. There you go. Thank there you, you. go. It, uh, that's, I, I like that is, that is some good trivia. Thank that you. That's some good trivia. So, yeah, he'd gone out to grad school at Cal Berkeley. and they My didn't dad move. went. My dad went to school there. Hey, all right. This is, this is you yeah. know. Yeah, I'm it's gonna, okay. I'm you can go for it. Fist bump. You, yeah. If you're listening, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't see that. But here, here's the noise again. Well, there, yeah. There's it really the... it blew up. Um, but, yeah, there wasn't even a, a computer science field when he was in graduate school. And so, you know, it's really interesting to hear him talk about how, how all of this has changed in his time. But anyway, um, and, and we can go off on that for a while, but, but so we grew up, I grew up going to SMU football games and it meant so much to me. Uh, my earliest sports memory is of Eric Dickerson running down the sidelines at Texas stadium with his Jersey half torn off. Mm. Um, and SMU got the death penalty when I was eight years old. And when you're eight, everything is uniquely yours. Uh, it's, it's, it, I mean, you know, you share things, uh, but, but not how you feel about it. Now, I, as becoming an adult, I've discovered that, that unlike maybe a professional sports team, and maybe some people have this kind of passion too, but, but for, for, for grown adults, you know, your college team is, is still uniquely yours. Um, and, uh, but at, but at eight, age eight, um, the program was shut down and, um, uh, and they said that we were, we were cheaters. Um, and they, took it away for two years and and when you don't have something that's that important for you know a year when you're when you're eight is like a decade and it felt like forever uh um and and there was insult to the injury and then beyond that we weren't good for 25 years um um and uh during that time knowing that i wanted to be a filmmaker i always wanted to do tell the story of SMU, uh, of the death penalty. And I, uh, um, for those of you listening to this who may not know that, the death penalty is a, is a term for this NCAA punishment that uh, has never been meted out a Never been meted out since uh, where your program is shut down for a year or two years uh, for rampant rules violations. Um, uh, but they saw what they did, what it did to the SMU Mustangs, the football program, and the whole, the whole the community. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, the SAT scores dropped 150 points or something like that, 100 points, because like so many, so, so fewer people were applying. Um, That's why I got in. Yeah, there you go. There you yeah. go. <laughs> um, 
But uh, but yeah, I always intended to tell that story as a, as a scripted film, so a, a movie movie with actors. And when I got to college, I started thinking, you know what, this is longer than, than one film. It has to be a series. And as I kept going, I just kept feeling like, okay, I'm going to have that on the back burner until I've become so successful that I'll have the money to be able to create recreate an era uh, and then have these giant crowd scenes, et cetera, and be at least known well enough that, that, that I could use the SMU name, that people there would trust me uh, with it. And so I never really thought of it as like, this is going to be my next project or anything like that. And uh, I went, after college, I went eight years without making a film. Um, really, the as I was talking about, the depression, anxiety um, um, caught up to me then. And we can get into that um, um, if you like. But the point is, is that I found myself living in Austin and I'd been there for five years and I hadn't made a film in eight years. And I was like, I gotta make a film or stop calling myself a filmmaker. And uh, I called up a, a producer friend of mine and I said, hey, look, uh, I just want to meet you for coffee and no pressure. Uh, um, I just need to bounce these ideas off of someone uh, and whatever one you were most excited about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off and start making. And so I just mainly told him about science fiction ideas and a couple of other things. And, and then, uh, you know, we decided on this one science fiction film and I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And then I asked him what he was up to. And he mentioned a number of things, but then he talked about how he was at the time doing, he was just uh, helping out on a documentary about tailgating at Texas Stadium um, and how it was going to be different than it would be at, at Jerry World when, when it opened. And then he mentioned another football film too. And I was like, I never even thought of this guy as a, as a sports guy. And and it, it it dawned on me. Uh, I was like, well, I want to talk to all these any, these guys anyway. Why not just bring a camera? <laughs> I mean, and it was so funny because, like, as he had said what he said, I was saying, you know, I have a football story too. And it was before the words finished coming out of my mouth that I was like, you know, yes, I need to bring a camera, and yes, that is what I'm going to do. And what, what's the process for like doing research on a documentary? And just to rattle off real quick, what are the names of some other ones in case we forget to ask you, the ones that you've done from a documentary stance? Uh, Brian and the Boz is, is another ESPN 30 for 30. Uh, so, so 30 for 30 is ESPN's branding for feature docs, and that's about Oklahoma linebacker uh, Brian Bosworth, uh, who uh, the Boz, um, yes, that one, that uh, for, for for those of you listening, he just showed a, a copy of 30 for 30. That one has Pony Excess on it, not, oh, not okay. the Boz. So, um, um, we have a Boz jersey here. We did some real estate well, stuff I, for him. I, I don't think I should sign that. Yeah, but don't. like, uh, you know, I can sign adjacent. Yeah, but maybe next time you come here, <laughs> I can have your eyebrows shaved yeah, there like, you go. like you did back then. The there day. you go. Um, and I also did a series called Indivisible, uh, Indivisible with Nate Boyer for the NFL. Um, that was a if you can believe it, a series on social justice hmm. for the NFL. We just took Nate Boyer around the country and put him in uncomfortable conversations. He's the uh, he's the guy that uh, um, the 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 Army veteran, yeah. Special Forces that that met with Colin Kaepernick uh, when Colin first started his protest. Yeah, you were talking about this at lunch, and he yeah. he got to be pretty big through just being a good observer, and yeah. came with some conflict, but. So talk to us about your, your process for actually vetting out documentaries. How much time goes into an hour and a half film, you know, to the, the back end. Maybe we don't appreciate it, but this is all part of 
your process where instead of going to be the next George Lucas or Spielberg, you want to be that. Mm-hmm. And you want to go and find something that just pulls at your heart. And we, I want to make sure we talk about the, the project with the church too. But how, what, what's the process for making a documentary and how much time goes into it? Well, sometimes they, they just find you. Um, uh, but the, the like Pony Excess is an interesting example because I had uh, when I had that conversation... Uh, I had that conversation because I had found myself uh, editing deer hunting videos. I, I don't hunt. Um, I don't particularly like guns. Uh, um, and here I was doing videos about it. And I was just like, I've got, you know, that's when I said, I've got to do something or stop calling myself a filmmaker. I, I get home from that coffee meeting and I, uh, I call up the guy who had been hiring me for these things. And I was like, I'm delivering this one this week and next week. Um, I know you have another one, but uh, I need you to find someone else because I have a full-time job starting on Monday. Um, <laughs> that week, I, it wasn't even a hunting video. It was, it was a seminar on deer feed that I was editing. <laughs> like, that was, that was rock bottom for yeah. me. Um, but, but then, amazingly, here's doing what the universe is revealing to you. Uh, 18 months to the day uh, from that following Monday is when... Pony Excess premiered on ESPN after the Heisman Trophy ceremony, becoming the most watched documentary premiere in the network's history. Wow. So there wasn't, there's not a metric for, you know, the guy sitting at the end of the bar talking about how he used to be someone or could have been somebody to, to the guy who had just had that film. Uh, but 18 months is incredibly quick for, uh, for a documentary film. Um, and if I didn't have... The team that I had uh, and and the funds that we could get for it, that would have taken, you know, three years easy. Because well, what's the process? What do you have to do? Just like live and die SMU death penalty for a year and a half? For sure. Yeah. Well, like um, I also had to convince people to give me money. Um, and, and I knew that like that's why I, I, I said I have a full time job because I knew that no one was going to give me any money unless I, uh, I used my only commodity, my time. And mm. I got my power turned off. I got my cable turned off. I, uh, <laughs> I got eviction notices, but, but kept going. And, and the process was to just put myself in front of people, to, to let them see the, the, the passion that I had. And, 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 and with any, I don't know, uh, with any luck or intervention, uh, um, uh, that 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 they would see my heart and where I was coming from because not only did I have to convince people to talk to me about something that was personally embarrassing to them or or personally painful painful to them then I also had to talk to people about them paying money to see this on screen uh, and and then I also really who, who, who was the first person you met with like the first interview you did um, let me see. I, the first person I tried to get was Sherwood Blunt, um, because I thought if we did this, that it would really help Sherwood because you could understand why he did what he did. With Steve uh, Bartman of Dallas. Yes, had but, the... but he, yeah, he didn't, he didn't want to talk. Um, and, uh, and was I see th- just the fall guy for it. Probably because he was, I mean, he was the one that was the, he was Rogers Healy before Rogers Healy. Like he was a, he was a big real estate guy here in town. Everybody knew his name because his name was Sherwood Blunt. Um, and, and just a, a young guy who, unlike Rogers, uh, um, uh, well, I, I, maybe a young Rogers, um, very, he was very brash, uh, and very, um, uh, 
egotistical. And, uh, um, and so he talked about what he did very freely. And so he made for um, a better fall guy than some of the others. But like, you know, they call the, the, the him and the eight others the naughty nine. And, you know, I, I, I can't tell you how much that hurt some of those individuals because they were lifelong SMU people and uh, um, gave all kinds of money to the university as a whole. And it was a, it was just a, a painful experience for them. Mm. Um, but, you know, one of the one of the first people I felt like June Jones was going into his second year at SMU uh, then and he was always very media savvy. And uh, um, I wanted to oh, and also he had a reputation at the time of being a, a turnaround artist. And uh, and here we were, we were in the second season uh, or going into the second season of him. And I felt like uh, I felt like not knowing of a ESPN 30 for 30, which would provide the platform. I felt like I needed something that would anchor it into the present. And so why not use that current year uh, um, to do that? Because it was 20 years from since the return from the death penalty. It was the second year of June Jones. And it was like, you know, if, if June can't do it here, then then no one can. And, um, and I can't, I don't recall, you know, actually, I, I, I was able to get, um, I think I, I think I had gotten Forrest Gregg even before I talked to, to, mm. to June. Um, but, but like the idea of just convincing him, um, and, and, you know, a lot of people say negative things about June now, because at least SMU fans, because they, they don't remember how, what it was like before he was there. They only remember that at the end we were losing again. And, uh, um, you know, and I just know how much I, I owe to him because yeah. he, he believed. And, um, and I also remember the first ex-player I went to was Lance McElhaney because mm. he's, he's findable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, like, it still didn't mean, I mean, it still just because he's findable didn't take the pressure off. You know? Yeah, well, um, I want to make sure we're staying true to the theme of this because you and I could talk SMU football for a long time as a couple loyal fans that have had their heart broken. But in the world of film, and as we get to the advice segment of, of the conversation, how did you stay true to your mission with making these films but also you know, knowing that the competition is un, it's immeasurable, literally, knowing how many people want to do what you've done and you've done it multiple times. What was the, what was the headspace for you to kind of press on? again i mean i know it's a uh, it's it's tough for it's tough for me to translate for a, a a general audience in the sense that like this is just something i i innately knew that i had to do and and really what it was was i just stopped fighting it i stopped fighting the voices in my head that were telling me i couldn't do it um and i just went for it and I kept driving. Uh, um, and so how did I stay true? You know, honestly, um, I've been spending, uh, I've spent a number of years, uh, uh, working on several different projects and a lot of them have come with them needing to have funds raised for them. And I think I've really discovered that how I've stayed true is that, that like, if you're going in a fundraising, uh, mode, uh, um, it really has to be very personal 
uh, for you, uh, at least when you're coming from a position of not having any money uh, for something already. Uh, it has to be that that personal thing that you can you can keep going back to the well and you can keep relying on that and, and letting your passion, uh, uh, passion and, and just trusting it. That's what's going to like open doors, knock through walls, create doors that weren't even there. It's just like, it is leaning into that, you know, I have to do this. I have to, I have to be the one to do this. And, and, and again, you know, you have just as many critics inside your head as, as, as outside. And, uh, and, and like, I, I think again, it's going back to that that idea of just 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 having faith, and it's really hard because at the at the beginning you don't know where you're going, you don't know what it looks like. But I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you, if you say I want to get to the top of that mountain, you at least know what the first step is. So just take that first step instead of sitting there thinking about like, well, what are those other steps going to be? You just have to take the step and keep walking towards the goal because eventually you'll be on the mountaintop. Hmm. I love that. What's the best advice you've ever received? Oh, I was going to give you some other advice. Um, What's the worst advice you've uh, ever received? Well, no, no. I was going to say about that. Like, one, I love this line um, How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Yeah. So, like, that's just like. If you're sitting there and you're like, I don't know how to do this. I can't figure out how I do this. Uh, you're going to be in that in that trapped space um, uh, forever. Yeah. Um, so you have to take a bite. You have to take a step. Best advice I've ever gotten. Um, it's to 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 live without expectations, and uh, and that's that's there's a this is a nuance here because like yes, when you are trying to achieve the impossible, there there you have to set goals and have these expectations, uh, quote unquote. But like, if you go about your life um, expecting things to happen, you are inviting misery into your life because. Things can only go the way you think they should uh, in one way. And there are, you know, millions of, of ways it can go in other ways. And, like, when things don't go your way, that's when you get into, the, like, the world is against me. You know, the, the uh, um, I can't believe they would treat me like that. This kind of thing. It's all this poor me cycle. But if you can work it into living a life of intent, like... Uh, like today, uh, my intent was to come in and, and, and talk to you on this podcast uh, um, and, and just go and be present. That leads to so much better success in all things than like, I have to go there and we have to have a great conversation. Because like, what, what, is, what would that great conversation look like? And so much of our lives is about just missing our expectation and being miserable uh, about it. And then being so miserable that we miss the next opportunity. Uh, and, you know, I have, a, I have, a, I have this, this, this friend who uh, uh, I, I, I found meditation, and it's, it's something that, you know, helps immeasurably. But one of my meditation teachers, he, he draws this chart where uh, um, on, on the top of the chart, it's, it's more of a blank page. And at the top, there's a circle, or it's a cloud-looking thing, and on the bottom, there's a line. And in the circle cloud-looking thing, he writes, the way I think things should be. And then down uh, on the line, he writes, the way things are. And then he draws a line connecting them and an arrow to it, and it says, suffering. The farther 
the farther things are, <laughs> the farther the way I think things should be is from the way things are, the more miserable you're going to be. Hmm. And I know that's strange to say in this context because we are talking about dreams and we are talking about doing things that, that can change the world or change your, your world. And so you have to have that idea that's up there in space, but how do you do that without it crushing your dreams, with the weight of how big that is, you know, not allowing you to start? Well, I think it's, it's actually really perfect context for this because the whole thing, I think, is not just being a salesperson. It's about keeping your head right and making sure you're pursuing things that, you know, whether you're eating an elephant or fighting, fighting your demons, I think that that's the whole theme of this. And I struggle with it, you know, I still struggle with it every day. And you and I have kind of similar backgrounds where I was, you know, I preferred to be by myself as a kid versus in social circles. And I still kind of prefer that, which does not lend to being, you know, an even a bigger success, a bigger success in the world of sales. But I think that's kind of part of the journey. Uh, The the last question I've got with, with this whole, you know, part of the conversation is with balance. You know, you literally your 18 month commitment, you live it, but how do you go and find balance between putting together a, a film, a movie, and being Thad, the the son, the friend, and the the person, how, how do you go and actually work on perfecting that? Uh, I mean, it's like, you know, work-life balance doesn't necessarily exist with me um, because I'm really just working to be true to, to who I am in all things and in all, uh, in all times. I feel like it would be nice if my schedule could work out um, so that I could uh, focus, uh, um, you know, more on each thing at, 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 at different times. But it's, it's, it's something that, like, you, when, when the momentum hits on a project, you've got you've to ride that and you've got to keep pushing. Um, and, and at the same time, though, because being, um, uh, you know, a, a son, a brother, a friend, uh, uh, a mentor, a mentee, all of those things mean a lot to me, it's, always, it's also just that commitment to, to, you know, being, again, you know, this whole true to yourself, is, it, it's, it's not necessarily it's that. that. It's just like, it, it's again, you know, you knowing what's, what's in your core and and understanding also that like if you don't do these other things that that make you fully human you're not going to be showing up uh, the way you want to show up for whatever opportunity is there and so always just work on 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 you know being being there when you're there and and showing up the way you can the way you want to uh, because we don't control much in this life but we can control that we show up with you know, just just with a with an open attitude, and and so much, so many great things happen when your eyes are wide open. Hmm. That was a visual again yeah. for the listeners. Yeah, and you're you're a stud. You got a good good head on you, and you got a lot of perspective, and you've you've channeled your um, pain and your obstacles, and it's made you a better leader and a, a great communicator. And I think that you've got a lot of gifts, but one of them is that you find a way to make your, you know, what's come out on the other side is very relatable. And I think anybody can appreciate that, whether they've dealt with it themselves or, you know, they have it coming in the future. The whole idea of turning your, um, uh, 
turning this into reality, it's also uh, working to, to no longer be the judge uh, of, of things, individuals, things outside of your control. If you go with the fact that, that I don't have to be right, uh, that's a very hard thing to come to. Uh, but but when you can actually own that you don't have to be right, there is such freedom with that. And the the idea is that like not that you don't have your own opinions, but it's then not being um, slaves to those opinions. Like uh, I used to be very um, upset that like we couldn't come to a, a consensus on 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 the climate and it used to really just keep me from doing anything it really brought me down um, um, and, and and one day I started talking about how you know we need to look for for solutions uh, for everything for for life and all of a sudden I realized that in some ways I was talking about that element of my life and and I was like I, I don't have to sit here and feel bad about it. I might not even be right, you know. Maybe, maybe, maybe the 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 whatever the consequences are, what's supposed to happen. But I can have this opinion, and I can let it inform my next step, and I can take a step towards a goal. And that's gotten me through uh, Central and South America doing conservation documentary work. And uh, uh, in fact, some work we did in Jamaica is, is about to be um, uh, featured at the British National uh, Natural History Museum. And we were a part of, of, of saving a species, which is uh, which one? the Jamaican iguana. Seriously? Seriously. I mean, that, it is, it's kind of jaw-dropping to, to realize that, that, that you, you've been a part of something so crazy as... You think as, they'll change the name to, oh, look at that little thad. The, 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 well, I mean... <laughs> the long-tailed thad. The long-tailed you know, Is I, that one of those matulas? Right, yes. Well, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I would say maybe because uh, a more unique name, they, they might go with mine, but, uh, but I was there in support of a, a, of a conservationist and photographer named Robin Moore. And so, like, no. I don't think they're going to rename it Robin, though, because, no, like, that's already got a... So they just combine the words. That's a Thad Matula. There you go. Yeah. Um, okay. Closing closing words. How how do we go? Closing remarks. How do we go support you? How do we find your films? What's the easiest way to follow you um, outside of this podcast, um, or by just following you, like stalking you? Well, I, I'm sure you're gonna put like my my direct Venmo on yeah, this. Yeah. True. But besides that, um, what uh, is the Venmo? <laughs> at Thad Films. Thad Films. But I actually, yeah, that's what I was gonna say though about Instagram and. Uh, and Twitter, I'm at Thad Films, and I uh, I will very much answer everybody. Um, really? Yeah, I work uh, work with a guy who who contacted me out of the blue, and a lot of a lot of people have, and it's funny because he he produces for me now, and at times he's like, you really have to stop giving yourself so much to those people that contact you, and I'm like, Ricky, you wouldn't be here if I didn't do stuff like this. Touche. I like that. A man a man for the people, a man for the ponies, a man for the world of film. Actually, the last, the Han Solo of documentary films, if you will. Will you? I will. I will too. Uh, Thad, thanks for being a great friend, a great guest, a great supporter, and for uh, using your heart and your head to go and impact the world. Thank you, Rogers. It's been a gift to be here. I'm, I'm truly grateful for Speaking this Speaking of gifts, I actually have a Thad Matula for you to take home. It's not able to be seen because it's an endangered species, but we're going to give you a Thad Matula. Just one. 
Just one. Um, no, no, unless it's like a gremlin where you just put water on it. And ex- another Spielberg film. There you go. Fun yeah. fact: the voice of Mogwai. You mm-hmm. know who it was? Uh, Rogers Healy. Howie Mandel. <laughs> it was Howie, Howie Mandel's Howie yeah. Mandel's first big film role wow. was the voice of not Mogwai of Gizmo. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, man, congratulations on your success. Can't wait to see your upcoming films and to continue to support you. Rogers, thank you, and and best of luck with this in Thanks, continuing. Bro. And you you already, you've already got it down, and I'm I'm excited to keep listening. Well, Rogers, that. Hi, I'm Thaddeus Matula, and that's how you sell without selling out. Rogers, that.